Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, happy Sunday, bro. Yes, sir. Kev, it's just that time of the year, my guy. Trust me. I know those allergies are hitting hard. I went through it bad on Friday, and I know this is going to be it's going to be a touch-and-go thing for the next couple of weeks. So you know, hopefully you guys are able to bear in mind with the both of us because just because Kev is going through it right now doesn't mean that I won't go through it next week or, or this episode at some point before we finish up. I mean, it could flare up out of nowhere. So, you know, just be patient with us. We'll, we'll try to be as quick as we can because I just don't want Kevin to suffer through an hour and a half of an episode. So we'll do what we can in this episode to just make it as quick as possible. But Kev, I got a couple topics to go over. We had a busy weekend in the realm of sports. Are you ready to go over these topics? Absolutely. All right. So first things first, uh, we will go over the John Morant situation. If you guys hadn't seen it, he posted an Instagram live video where he was displaying a gun that he carries for personal protection in a club sometime around like two or three o'clock at night. It was a rather late situation. And uh, we'll talk about the suspension that he received from the Grizzlies. He's only serving a two-game suspension. And we'll, we'll just dive into it, uh, the whole situation from beginning to end. After that, we'll kick it to a really competitive game that we saw in the Western Conference this past weekend. Uh, we got to see Kyrie and KD go at it on different teams this past weekend. Obviously, with Kevin Durant playing with the Phoenix Suns, Kyrie Irving playing with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, the Suns etched a very close win against the Mavericks on Sunday. It was a really competitive game. It was back and forth, but the Suns were able to get a pretty big road win against the Mavs and got a little chippy towards the end of it. So we'll talk about whether or not there's a growing rivalry between these two teams. Obviously, there's a little bit known about these teams because of how the playoffs ended for the Suns last season when they got smacked by the Mavericks in Game 7 in the second round of the playoffs. So we'll leave that for the NBA topics at hand for this episode. After that, we'll kick it to our off-season fixes. Uh, very similar to last week, we will just keep going in order of the draft. Uh, last week, we went over the two worst teams in the NFL, which were uh, the Texans and the Bears. And in today's episode, we will go over the Cardinals and the Colts. And then to round out the episode, we will talk about John Jones winning the heavyweight title against Cyril Gaunt. He was able to get a first-round guillotine choke and at this point, he is, without a doubt, the greatest UFC fighter that has ever existed. And 
you could probably go even a stretch farther that he may be the greatest MMA fighter that we have ever seen. So that'll be the rundown for today's episode. Let's not take any more time or, or let's not waste any more time, excuse me, and let's dive into the John Morant situation. So like I said at the like I said at the top, John Morant was in a club late at night, posted an Instagram live video of himself in the club, and he displayed a handgun. And everybody caught wind of it. It just flooded social media pretty quickly. And then there were a lot of calls about potentially suspending John Morant, really just from a social media perspective. And the Grizzlies did hand down a two-game suspension for John Morant's behavior in the club this past weekend. And when it comes to John Morant, he has been in the headlines a little bit more consistently in this regard when it comes to situations that he's either agitated or potentially escalated uh, just based on, I guess, certain things that are going on within Memphis or just wherever his entourage and he himself have moved around in certain situations. So it's a very dynamic situation. It's a fluid situation with John Morant and we'll do the best that we can to kind of cover all aspects of it. But Kev, I just got to get your thoughts. What do you think about the Grizzlies handing down a two game suspension for John Morant for him displaying a gun in a club this past weekend? Uh, I have to say it's a crock. I mean, we've seen people get suspended for more for a lot less. Um, again, like Kyle stated already, every time jaw is in the news, it has lately been in a negative aspect. So, you know, the accusations of the, uh, you know, striking a 17 year old and then, um, you know, flashing a gun in his face. We're talking about the entourage with the red, the, uh, the red light that someone saw like head of security thought that they were getting a gun pointed at them. And now this, it's just, it's a string of issues. It is a string of nuances every week it seems with John Morant and Shannon Sharp has touched on it Stephen A. Smith has touched on it multiple NBA players have touched on it when you go to become a multi-million dollar athlete a professional athlete no matter where you come from whether it's privilege whether it's poverty no matter the situation you are chasing a goal and a dream right for those that are coming out of negative situations it is to get out of something. It is to leave an area. It is to put a lifestyle behind you. But for John Morant, it seems like he wants to bring that entourage or that lifestyle with him. He wants to carry on that 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 persona of sorts. And it infuriates me because you try so hard your entire life to get out of a situation. You want to get your family out of a, a bad neighborhood. You want to get your family away from a specific crowd. You want to put your family up in a nice area. Whatever the situation may be, and Ja Morant wants to go and, and, and put himself in this situation, I mean, I don't understand what you're getting from showing off a gun on IG Live at 4 or 5 in the morning in Denver, Colorado. I don't know why you have one when you have hired security, when you have a bunch of bouncers at a club, I would assume. Again, when you have your own entourage. Why do you need to carry the what For what? What does that what does that do for you? Does that make you look cool? Does it make you feel tough? Like for I don't know again, clarify for me because in my mind, when you get to that next level, when you become a pro athlete, you don't need to do that stuff. You hire people for that, right? If you got your crew with you, you got your boys with you, what do you need to carry it for? I think it's corny. I think it is childish. I think it is him not being able to let go of the past. And, you know, 
I'm just going to say this straight out. This this could get John Morant in a lot of trouble. This could get John Morant hurt. This could get him killed. You out here flashing guns over here. You're not you're not looking tough. You're just making yourself a prime target, right? Celebrities all across the globe of all ages throughout history have all thought they were bigger than life itself. You know, there were some instances of multiple celebrities just in the in the media for just horrible instances, right? It's not going to change. It's the mindset. John Morant's 23 years old. He's come across all this money. He's got all these people with him, blah, 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 blah. The narratives are endless. But for him to only get two games from the Grizzlies, for a PR person to come in and give John Morant a blank statement, I need to work on myself. You know, like, this is a problem. I have, I have an issue. I have to correct. No, bro, you need to grow up. You don't have a disease. You don't have a mental illness. You don't have a problem. You are being dumb. You need to grow the fuck up and act like a professional. There's just no reason for you to be sitting there waving it around. On it. First of all, what do you want Instagram Live waving a gun for? You do know that everything is tracked nowadays. It takes one screenshot. It takes one screen recording. You have millions of followers on social media. Did that make sense? Oh, he was probably drunk or he was thinking. Why do you have a gun in a club in Denver, Colorado to begin with? I don't understand. Kyrie basically got canceled for a social media post that people misinterpreted for their own selfish reasons and got him in all this trouble. Now he doesn't have a partnership with Nike. Now he's deemed a problem. Now he's deemed a headache. John Morant waves a gun and the Grizzlies are like, I'm, happy. I'm proud that he's working on it. Nike comes out and says, oh, uh, you know, we're, we're happy that he's owning up to his... No shit, he's owning up to his fault. It was the gun in his hand. It wasn't his friend in the background. It wasn't his dad in the back. It was him on his Instagram. I don't get it. You cut ties with players for less, and now you're going to sit here and back a guy that's just waving around a gun and in the media for all the negative... wrong, I, I, All the wrongdoings. I don't get it. I feel like John Morant just wants to throw away his life, doesn't care, and I hope all his sponsorships get taken away. I don't give a shit, bro. I really don't care if you're on Powerade. Nike's got a new Nike sponsor athlete, which is hysterical because Kyrie leaves and then John Morant gets a shoe, but that's neither here nor there. The point of what I'm getting at is when you make mistakes over and over and over and over and over, it's like the old saying goes, you know, uh, fool me once, shame on you, or fool me once, I don't even fucking remember the saying. Because I, I always get the stupid quote from George Bush and that Jay-Z song, or not, excuse me, that J. Cole song. I'm, I'm, I'm fed up with the excuses people are giving athletes, but we're seeing regular people get incarcerated for less. We're seeing regular people get booked and, and canceled and banished for just verbal words. A celebrity goes and posts a, a whole real Instagram live recording video of him with a firearm, and he gets two games. Come on, we got to do better than that. That's just ridiculous. John Morant needs the book thrown at him. Needs to be punished, needs to be reprimanded, and he needs to feel it. Two games ain't shit. He's going to literally come into a over $200 million contract next season. Do you think he's going to care about two games this year? No. And him deleting social media just means he's going to do it without other people seeing. Come on. It's, 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 it's just it's dumb. I'm sorry I've gone on a rant. I've had a lot of pent-up aggression towards this whole thing for the last couple of days, and I stand by what I said. If you're going to make immature decisions like that, you think there's not going to be any repercussions, I hope they take away all his sponsorships and Ja loses it all. 
clearly you're not appreciative of the great opportunity you have in front of you because you want to flex and pretend to be something that you're not. That's just not the way to go about it. Kev, I'll, I'll finish the quote for you. It's fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah, I, that one. That, there you go. But no, Kev, I think you hit the nail on the head when it came to this. Uh, John Morant needs to grow up. And honestly, it is plainly that simple. John Morant, like you said, Kev, he has a great opportunity. And he's taken advantage of it. Simply just because you look at the contract extension that he was able to obtain from the Grizzlies. It's massive. And it looks like in this situation that more than likely alcohol was at play. And when it came to him displaying his gun on Instagram Live, everybody within within literally seconds of seeing that, it started flooding social media. And then basically by the morning, people were basically calling for him to get suspended based on that. And when it comes to John Morant, you know, just from a personal perspective, I don't necessarily mind the idea of him carrying a gun for personal protection. You know, you could have concealed carry permits. Like, it's not necessarily like the worst thing in the world. Like, if you want that for personal protection, go right ahead. There's a big difference between having a gun on you for personal protection and using it if you need to use it in a very serious situation. And then there's a huge difference between literally just flashing a gun on Instagram Live for clout, saying, I got it like that, essentially. Dude, what are you doing? Come on, bro. You're better than that. I understand that he's 23 years old, but you're just better than that. And when it comes to the suspension that the Grizzlies handed him, it's a joke. Because, Kev, let's just be honest here for a second. Had this been you or me and our work had found out that we were flashing a gun on social media, we lose our jobs. And the majority of people in any area of work would probably lose their job based on that. Because who wants to be associated with somebody that's essentially flashing a gun for whatever purpose that they want to on social media? It's just not worth the trouble then at that point. And when it comes to John Morant and how this whole PR team or his whole PR team was running the show after the fact to basically cover for him, it was a joke. They were making it sound like what Kev had alluded to. Like this was something that he's dealing with mentally. Like he needs to address his uh, mental issues at play here. They were basically considering him almost as like a victim in this regard, which is just nuts because job made a stupid decision. Jaw's not dealing with any sort of psychological issue. Jaw's not dealing with any sort of mental instability where like his mental well-being is severely questioned. He just did a dumb thing and his PR team is basically trying to make it seem like he needs to improve on his own well-being. Like it's not that serious in that regard. He just has to own up to the fact that he made a stupid mistake and everybody saw it. And as far as I see it, you know, I, I don't know what sort of suspension you would levy against John Moran. I don't know like what the term would be, how many games, but two games is unacceptable as far as I see it. When it comes to something like this, bro, 
at minimum, I'm talking a 20 game suspension. You can't flex a gun on Instagram Live on social media and have no repercussions whatsoever. You know, and it, if Kev wants to allude to the point of him losing sponsorships over it, I wouldn't blame them. Why would you want to be associated with that? Like Kev said, Kyrie got all of his ties cut based on a Twitter post that wasn't really even any Semitic in nature to begin with. So when it comes to the situation that Kyrie went through, like Kev said, he essentially got canceled for it. And John Morant is essentially facing a slap on the wrist for this, which is just, it's honestly unbelievable as far as I see it. Um, when it comes to John Morant, do I think that he's just flat out stupid? No, he made a stupid decision. And I think when it comes to the repercussions, I don't think he's actually going to get that significant of blowback from it to where he is actually going to feel the significance of the stupid decision that he made. But maybe that's just the time that we live in. And when it comes to athletes, you know, unless you are in a situation where, you know, you get in a major situation where there's a potential lawsuit against you, or if you're facing actual felony charges, more likely than not, you're not really going to serve any major punishment. And when it comes to this, look, he didn't, he didn't shoot the gun or anything like that, but the fact that he just displayed it, that he flexed it on Instagram for clout, he's better than that. It's a stupid decision. And I think it's, I think it's a little unfair that he's not going to really suffer any sort of major consequences from this. When, as far as I see it, he should. And I'll just leave it at that. In the league's eyes, <clears throat> he's a kid, right? 23, fresh out of college just a few years ago, emerging into superstardom and all these different things. I'm not going to coddle him. I'm no. not, not going to give him that benefit of the doubt. Do you know why? This isn't weed. This isn't pills. This isn't strippers. This isn't a party. This is a firearm. Loaded or not, this is something that can take another person's life. This is something that this country is having a bigger issue with, right? And I'm not going to get into politics, but the fact of the matter is you're, you're sauced, right? You're, you're clearly inebriated with, with whatever it is that you're taking because I understand that whatever NBA players do is their business. It's their body, right? But then you start waving around a firearm. That becomes an issue. If a police officer off-duty is waving around his fucking gun that he is legally allowed to carry because that is his job, and he goes and poses, he loses everything. And that is his job because he's supposed to have a gun. That's what he's supposed to do. John Moran is 23 years old. I guarantee you he's not certified to carry something like that. A concealed carry permit, that's one thing. I guarantee you he's not going to shooting ranges and all these different things. Call it an assumption. Call it stupid. It doesn't make a difference. You're also under the influence in a state that you're not even from at a nightclub knowing that there's hundreds, if not thousands of people around you. If you drop the gun, pull the trigger by accident, or just it goes off, you're Life, your career is over because you want to flex because you want to be badass. Two games is a crock of shit, and that is the Grizzlies showing that, well, we have to punish him. I agree with Kyle completely. Dude, NBA players are getting fined and, and removed and canceled for videos of just so much less 
so much less. Like Lamelo Ball was given so much shit last year when he was shown smoking weed before a game. Oh my god, this is so inappropriate. Oh my god, this is so mature. Oh my god, he's in his twenties. What is he doing? John Morant's waving a gun, and he's not in two games. A gun, not a water gun, not a knife. A fucking loaded weapon. Two NBA's got to do better, bro. I'm not. I, I literally am feeling myself getting boiled up. People need to understand when you wield a gun, professional or not, if you have one in your hand, you are essentially God because you have the ability to take someone's life away. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a joke. It's not funny. You're not cool. I don't respect people that do it. I don't think, bro, it's one thing to have it on your person and, like Kyle said, protect yourself. It's one thing to have it on you while at the club and just, you know, again, just have it. For you to be. You're a fucking clown. An absolute clown. I seriously pray you get everything taken away from you. I know that's harsh because, again, if something were to have gone wrong, you lose it all. Plaxico Burris lost it all, and he shot himself. Himself! And he went to prison. That's how simple it could be, bro. He dropped it, and he caught it in his, and he fired it himself. That's all it takes. Yeah. Literally, all it takes is literally just a little slip-up of your finger. And if you hit the trigger, that one shot goes out, everybody will flee. Everybody. And when it comes to Ja, look, I understand that he's 23 years old. And, you know, for, for everybody who's listening right now, guys, we're in our late 20s. We're not in our 40s or 50s where it can kind of come off as like we're making like a boomer type of argument in this regard. He's only a couple years younger than us. And I could guarantee you the overwhelming majority of people our age aren't flexing guns like that. And if they are, they are bringing some unwanted attention. I could tell you that because whenever like Kevin, I used to go to clubs, like all of our friends used to go to clubs. I guarantee you, Everybody just went there to have a good time, you know, probably drink a little bit, but nobody was bringing a gun and then flashing it so everybody could see it for social media clout. I can guarantee you that. And when it comes to John Morant as a professional athlete, I, I kind of use that professionally part. Uh, I tried with a little bit of, uh, I tried a little bit there because that professional part is up in question right now. So, you know, when it comes to Ja, you know, hopefully down the line, he, he could use this as a learning experience and not try to do anything like this again. But when it comes to this situation, Kev, this was so, unavo- this was so avoidable, but it's social media clock, bro. And I guarantee you, just because he got rid of his social media accounts, like you said, all it takes is literally one person to just put up their phone. And if he's in a club somewhere and he's getting sauced and he's flashing it around again, it's all it takes. And to me, you know, when you're in a situation where, like you said, Kev, you're a multimillionaire. You are the breadwinner of your family now. You know, not only do you have to take care of yourself, but there, there are people that you're around that you're taking care of. And when you're in a situation where you're putting that in danger or you're putting that in question, 
you're more responsible than just yourself in that situation. But people lose sight of that, especially when alcohol is at play there. And I think when it comes to the punishment that Ja is going to receive because of that, bro, that is is a joke. And I think I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I don't think the NBA wants to look like they're too harsh in this situation. When I think in this case... Guarantee he shoots somebody by accident or on purpose. It's a whole different narrative. Yeah, because in this case, he didn't shoot the gun. Had he by mistake, then it would have been like, okay, then we have to do something about that. Shouldn't have to come to that point, bro. That's what I'm saying. It really shouldn't. It's crazy to me. It's just two two games, and it didn't even come from the league office. Crazy. So I, I can't I can't wrap my brain around it. And I know we're talking about it for a while, but people need to understand the severity of the situation, man. Like Kyle it, made the perfect point. If it's me or Kyle, bro, we're fired on the spot. On the spot. Yeah. And we're getting locked up. Cause I I don't know about you. I don't got no concealed carry permit. So if I'm waving on a gun on social media, my job finds out, I guarantee you someone's gonna be knocking on my door. Even the people that carry just regularly. Who have a concealed carry permit, Kev? I guarantee you, every single one of those people do not do what Jaw did. They don't flex their guns on Instagram or social media for clout. That's the last place you want to be on when you had a firearm you know, you know, on you. you. You know the last person that tried to do that was Aaron Hernandez, and look how it ended for him. And my my question to Jaw would be simply this: You want to go down that route, bro? Because we have an example with Aaron Hernandez. Look where it ended it with him. Couldn't he leave that hit. life behind him. He got hit for murder. He was allegedly involved in a double murder. And then goes to prison. And then he hangs himself. If that's the life that Ja wants to go down, that's his choice, bro. I'll tell you right now, though. Dude, you got to leave that in the past. It's not worth it. You have potential to make hundreds of millions of dollars in your NBA career. And you're going to potentially throw that away because of gun shit? Because you're trying to act hard in the streets? Bro, you got to let that go. And trust bro, me. The, wor- the I, worst part and, and, is and trust he's me, got a kid, dude. He's and, got and, a whole and, ass daughter and, to take and, care and, of. And trust me, I, I guarantee you this. Jaw is not a gangster like that. Jaw doesn't move like that. And I tell you what. If you were to go down in the hood with guys that have really kind of been through it, they would look at somebody like Job, like, come here, young buck. It's like, you ain't that. You are not that guy. And honestly, if you want to be that guy, then you're going to get into some situations that the majority of people don't want to go through anyway. And I guarantee you, Jaw's not like that. Jaw's not built like that. Bro, I remember I saw a, a Twitter post the other day where they were kind of doing a comparison. They were using the eight mile track where Eminem was battling against somebody. Yeah, I know Just, something about you. Yeah. It was you the final battle against Papa Doc. You, you, yeah, you went to Cranbrook. That's a private school. I, I mean, Jaw had a re- Jaw's like a really good situation to begin with. The fact that he would want to potentially throw that away is just nuts to me. And over. Nothing. Like, this ain't it, bro. 
some this ain't it. it is it, hey it is what it is i know we got a lot more stuff to talk about so uh kind of drop it where it lies and we'll kind of keep you guys abreast to see if the nba comes down with an additional suspension if there's any repercussions like a fine or some shit like that but we don't know what's going to happen you know obviously we're just kind of playing it by ear like everybody else but those were just our thoughts you know crucify us if you want believe what you want say what you want again you're not going to change our minds just like we're not going to change yours so yeah we ask that you respectfully keep your opinion to yourself if you disagree and if you don't if you do agree you know it it is what it is we understand that we're putting ourselves out there it's a social media world that we live in but i say we just keep it moving regardless of what anybody says facts at that but uh with that said uh we'll transition to a very interesting game that took place uh, this past weekend in the Western Conference. Uh, we saw the Mavs go up against the Suns in Dallas. And, Kev, I, what I have to say was a pretty competitive game from beginning to end. Um, it was a back-and-forth game. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic, they all had great individual games. I believe all of them scored over 30 points. I believe the leading scorer overall, I believe, was Kevin Durant. I believe Kevin yeah. Durant dropped 37 points. Devin Booker had 36. And then when you look at the Mavs, Kyrie Irving had 30. Luka Doncic had 34. So the Stars showed out, but the Suns were able to get a big win on the road, winning that game by the score of 130 to 126. Luka had a chance to potentially tie the game right at the end of the fourth quarter. What was probably, what, a five- or six-foot floater. And the, the ball just rolled off the rim it just nine times out of ten luca's gonna make that shot it was just the rim was playing games in that one moment and he missed a shot and the suns end up leaving dallas with the win but kevin at the end of the game got a little chippy especially between luca Doncic and devin booker and we have seen these two teams in the past go at it we could look back to that playoff series last year in the second round where in game seven the mavericks spanked the suns by 30 plus points. I think at one point, I think the Mavs were up by like 40 plus. 40 something, yeah. It was the Suns' worst game of the entire year. But uh, in this case, uh, the Suns were able to get the better of the Mavs in this case. And uh could be something that we could see brew uh, of, a, of a potential rivalry between these two teams, between the Suns and the Mavs. So, Kev, let me kick this, let me kick this one to you here. What do you think about this game that took place between the Suns and the Mavs this past weekend, if there's a potential rivalry that's brewing between these two teams? I mean, I like it. Um, Obviously, when you talk about what happened last year in the postseason, the chippiness that happened throughout that that series all the way through to Game 7, how it ended in favor of Dallas, which obviously I loved. And then you go into this season with, you know, Phoenix starting off a little slow. Devin Booker had some injuries. Obviously, this year for Dallas, it's it's kind of just been an up and down year. Win one, lose two, win two, lose three. It's just the epitome of an inconsistent season. Both teams go out and acquire superstars or additional superstars in uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, respectively. And you just you kind of add fuel to the already existing fire and the tensions from last season of how it ended. And you go into a game like this where Kevin Durant and Kyrie were obviously teammates just a few weeks ago in Brooklyn, and they're adding fuel to what already exists between you know Devin Booker and Luka Doncic and the rest of the each supporting cast. And I think that it's great for basketball. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's been a rivalry ongoing for the last five, six seasons or anything like that. But when you build off of what happened last year, if this continues to be 
close. Both teams continue to meet in the playoffs. And, you know, you go vice versa. You know, like Phoenix wins one year. Dallas wins the series another year. That's what I would consider to be a rivalry. But, you know, Devin Booker's a little on the younger side. Obviously, Luka's a little on the younger side. KD's a little up there. Kyrie is, I think, either just approaching 30 or if not 30. And, I, you know, we already talked about if Kyrie's going to come back or not. And we both agree that we don't think he will. In terms of the teams as a whole... I think both teams played exceptionally well. I mean, you know, there was no defense played whatsoever in this game. I mean, obviously, you saw that the score ended up being, you know, 130 to 126, another game where the Mavericks just completely could not guard a soul. But that also meant that Phoenix couldn't guard anybody either. And, you know, KD had 37. Devin Booker had 36. Luka had 34. Kyrie had 30. But there was good support from other players as well. Christian Wood had 17. Tim Hardaway had 21. I mean, for Phoenix, when you go and you look at the other side for them as well, you know, Chris Paul had 11 and 7. Um, you know, um, this guy, Wayne Wright, I think he just got a two-year extension signed but from Phoenix. He went and dropped 12 points. But each team was doing what they needed to do. And it was a pretty clean game overall. Nine turnovers for Phoenix, 10 turnovers for Dallas. Nothing exceptional for you to say, wow, this was just an overall sloppy game. But from the game as a whole, what I, what I foresee is whoever plays defense is going to be the one that wins this game. Whoever gets a stop is going to be the one who wins this game. In the case of you know Kevin Durant getting off that final shot to put Phoenix up and Luka missing, Luka missed a layup at the rim. It happens. Again, that had nothing to do with defense. That's a missed opportunity. So this very well could have went into overtime, to be honest with you. It's just a matter of execution. I'm very concerned that Dallas as a whole is relying just obviously on the two scores of Luka and Kyrie. And they're still kind of growing together. But the lack of defense is really pissing me off because there are just so many instances where Luka will be guarding somebody at face front, face value. and once they get on his hip, he doesn't continue to to follow. He kind of lets them go. He tries to poke at the ball from behind, and then that's a bucket. And that is like 90% of his defensive stops or 90% of his defensive efforts. So uh, unless we find a way to turn it around, I don't know what's going to happen uh, as the season progresses. But Phoenix showed that Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are having no mesh issues, uh, no chemistry issues whatsoever. And uh, it's just a matter of how far can they go. When you add someone of KD's caliber, it's just a matter of how far can you go. So we'll see what happens. If we match up again in the playoffs, I wouldn't be upset. I think it'd be a great series. Um, But yes, I think if this continues, this could be a very good rivalry. I mean, for the game itself, it was very competitive. It was really just a back and forth effort. Bless you. I know, Kevin, you're going through your allergies. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So I'll just kick it to my screen. But no. When it comes to this game in particular, like I said, it was competitive. It was back and forth. And frankly, it was just entertaining. And for me, I'm not a Suns fan. I'm not a Mavericks fan. I know Cav is a diehard Mavs fan. And we were talking about this before the game. Well, not before the game. Before we'd started recording. And Kev is usually somebody that's very focused on effort. 
And I remember we were talking about it before we started recording, and he was saying that the effort was there. It just came down to execution. And look, when it comes to Luca missing that floater with about, what, five seconds left in the fourth quarter, nine times out of ten, that shot's going to go in. That one time happened to be this instance where he missed it, and it had a pretty significant outcome because, like Kev said, that game could have gone into overtime, and you never really know where things could go from there. But this was a game where both stars on each respective team showed out. Kevin Durant dropped 37. Devin Booker dropped 36. I mean, you talk about those two combined. They scored 73 points, which was more than half of the team's points. And then when it came to Luka and Kyrie, they combined for 64. Luka had 34. Kyrie had 30. The offensive firepower that both of these teams possess, it's apparent. And when it comes to the maps, I would say their trade for Kyrie was a double-edged sword because you're getting a great score in Kyrie, but on the back half of it, your defensive effort and your defensive productivity is probably going to take a dip. And especially with Luka not being the best defender on that side of the court. So, and a lot of the games that Dallas has played since acquiring Kyrie have been in this manner where they're losing these really close, sometimes one possession games that could be decided by a potential game winning shot. And they're just falling on the wrong side of the decision or of the result, I should say. But when it comes to to these two teams and how I see these two teams playing out for the rest of the year and then potentially going into the playoffs, I would love to see these two teams run it back for a playoff series. I mean, obviously I know the Suns would have a little bit of a chip on their soldier, uh, a chip on their shoulder, excuse me, based on how last year ended for them. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, the whole Kevin Durant, Devin Booker dynamic play out against Luca and Kyrie. And I think it would just be a fireworks show when it come, when it would come to these two teams, potentially playing a seven game series in the playoffs. I would love that. It's just, Right now, if I had to if I had to give the edge, I'd probably give the edge to the Suns just because somebody's got to slow down KD. And even though that I thought the Mavs individually were playing decent defense against KD, KD's just better. KD's able to rise up, get a little bit of space, get a little bit of separation, and he's just able to knock down shots consistently. And then when you got a good partner to go with in Devin Booker, you also have other players like Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. You got Cameron Payne coming off the bench. That's going to be a tough squad to stop. Now, Dallas, they got some shooters. Don't get me wrong. But it's going to be tough for them. But I like the fact that both of these teams are chippy. They're getting after it. And they're putting it on the line every single time that these guys go out there on the court. So hopefully we get to see these two teams in a playoff series, either this year or potentially in the foreseeable future. But overall, it was a great game between these two teams. And got to give the credit to the Suns for just edging out a win in Dallas when there was no defense whatsoever. But 130 points was good enough in this case for them. So good on the Suns. Final point now as a Mavericks fan, Devin Booker soft as shit, bro. He did the same thing in the playoffs last year where he ran his mouth in games that they were winning or games where he was hitting. And then he was silent when Luka was cooking him. He was silent when they lost. He loved running his mouth. But there's multiple screenshots and videos of him flailing and flopping and complaining and whining. And I know that that's Luca's MO, especially complaining to the refs. 
Devin Booker be doing the same shit in Phoenix. So when they came head to head, I love that. Man, I, I know it would have came in the suspension. I know it's not appropriate. Man, Loki, I wish Luca just would have went, wow, like right in his mouth, bro. Like some yeah. 1985, like old fashioned, like shut the fuck up type shit. But come on, bro. You dude, know it's two way street. I, again, you know how this rolls. It's, it makes me upset. When Devin Booker likes to run his mouth at the very end, like Lucas said, it makes me it like like if you're gonna talk trash, don't talk trash in the final three seconds. You know, yes, you had a great game. You only scored six points in the second half. You had thirty at half. Let's calm down. You know, like you cooked, you cooled off. So chill out, acting like you did something important. And then you know, I can't say that you got carried because you had thirty something and your teammate had thirty something. But bro, it took you to get KD. To beat Luca, mm-hmm. you was whining and complaining about Jalen Brunson, who's respectively doing his thing in New York. You know, no, no disrespect there, but you had to go get probably one of the greatest players this generation has ever seen to beat Luca Doncic. Let that sink into Suns fans. You guys were the number one seed last year, and you lost to a group of nobodies, as everybody loved to put it, and Luca Doncic. So just remember that as this progresses and the season goes on, the postseason approaches, y'all love running your mouth at the fucking greatest times when you look great. But then the second y'all slip up or have a bad game, we're bad people for talking shit back. So remember that. Keep that same energy in the playoffs. So help me God, we play on a seven-game series. I'm going to be unbearable, bro. I promise you. You know the ironic part about the whole thing? Had Luca taken a swipe at Devin, he would have probably got a bigger suspension than Ja. Oh my god, a hundred percent. What? I'm just leaving it at that. Blah, blah, I'm blah. just leaving it at that. I'm just leaving it at that. That's my point right there. But uh, we got some NFL teams uh, to go over with some offseason fixes. Uh, the first team we'll go over will be the Cardinals. Kevin, swing this one my way, bro. So we've been doing the you know a couple things that each team needs to improve for 2023 we did our playoffs teams just a few weeks ago and now we're coming into pretty much draft order so the worst teams in the league that are remaining we did the texans and we did the bears the other day now we're going to focus on the arizona cardinals and the indianapolis colts so kyle what do you believe the cardinals need to do to improve for 2023 they have a lot of areas of need and honestly, that's just putting it mildly. Uh, when it comes to the Cardinals uh, this upcoming season, they're going to have to contend with the fact that Kyler is going to be out for at least half of the season while he recovers from his torn ACL. And that's going to have a big impact offensively. So there will be some things that I'll get to on the offensive side, maybe, but I really want to focus on the defense because defensively, they're a subpar team, even though that I think that they have some good players on that side of the football. Um, I'm going to start with their pass rush. A pass rush is going to be a big area of need this offseason simply just because J.J. Watt retired. And even though that they had somebody like J.J. Watt in the fold on that front four, the Cardinals were a team that was essentially middle of the pack. You could even say they were on a lower tier in the grand scheme of things with the amount of sacks they were able to get consistently. They only had 36 sacks this past season. And when you lose somebody like J.J. Watt, that's a big piece. So this offseason, they're definitely going to have to make some sort of moves, whether it's in free agency or in the draft, to be able to bring up some young studs that could potentially be some playmakers on that front four and on that pass rush. Because defensively, they're secondary and they're linebacking core. They have some good players to roll with. 
They have Buda Baker. They have Isaiah Simmons. Uh, they have Marco Wilson. These are some good players in that back half of the defense that you could build a good defense around. But that front four, it needs to be addressed sooner rather than later because defensively, they're going to be stretched to their limits based on the fact that their offense is going to be limited next year. And then if I had to say the next part, it's got to be their offensive line. You're not going to have Kyler Murray. And with the amount of sacks that they let up this year, even when Kyler was there, it was troubling. They were one of the teams that was in essentially the top five with the amount of sacks that they were allowing consistently. I believe that they were one of the teams that was tied for fourth in the NFL with the amount of sacks that they allowed. I believe they allowed 46 sacks this past season. And you know Kyler's able to escape from some of those potential sacks. So now that you're going to have somebody like Colt McCoy or Trace McSorley or David Blau, as your starting quarterback for the first two months of the season, the offensive line is going to be a major key area to focus on because if they're losing that battle on the line of scrimmage consistently, you're not going to be able to pass the ball effectively. James Conner is not going to be able to run the ball effectively. And offensively, they're going to be stagnant. When it comes to the Cardinals, just relatively speaking, they are just a subpar team. Last year did not work out well for them in any way, shape, or form. And it went bad to worse once Kyler got hurt. So the margin of error when it comes to the Cardinals is slim to begin with. And it could even be slimmer based on how the first two months of the season go. Because at this point, the quarterback spot is iffy. Their offensive line is iffy. And if they don't play up to their standards, or even a better standard than what they had this past year, it could be a repeat result of what this past season was. So I'll leave it at that. I know Kev, he's got some other things to attend to with the Cardinals, so I'll let him have the floor. So uh, Kyle already alluded to some big points, right? And I would say just to add a simple third point here, you have to find a way to manage the season. Kyler Murray's going to miss anywhere from 8 to 12 games. There's no estimated timetable, but obviously with him being hurt... <laughs> Towards the end of last season, or the you know the, the the back half of the second half of the season last year, usually an ACL recovery is anywhere from eight to twelve months. Obviously, eight months being like record time, like Adrian Peterson coming back in ridiculous historic pace. But for Kyler Murray, with his mobility, the position he plays, and of course you know size, weight, and all that, he's not exactly somebody that's built to take hits like an Adrian Peterson. So I would say that Kyler Murray is going to miss a good chunk of the season which means that you are going to have to find ways to win without him. You are going to have to find a way to go at least, I would say, 500 to be competitive in the NFC West. You can't afford to lose every single game. And because if you do for that, then Kyler doesn't come back next season. Why risk hurting your franchise quarterback if you guys are 2-6, and 2-8? and eight? It just doesn't make sense because, again, the season at that point is a wash. If Arizona wants to remain competitive... You have to find a way to win games without him, whether that is you signing a veteran quarterback to just hold on, whether you're developing a quarterback that you currently have on your roster. I don't exactly know what Arizona has planned, especially with new head coach Jonathan Gannon, him being a defensive-minded guy. I don't necessarily have any clue as to what direction they're thinking about going for the future, but Arizona's already got some big glaring pieces to have to improve upon. Like Kyle said, defensive, offensive. As an overall franchise, you got to win games to remain competitive. Otherwise, this is 100% going to be another wasted season. And I know this is uh, something that Kev gets a lot of joy over. So be very interesting to see how this goes. But uh, we got to talk about the Colts. Uh, just to kind of give you guys a rundown with the Colts. 
the Colts were a disappointment this past season. I know Kev had uh, even questioned whether or not that he should even follow the team anymore as a fan of the team. Uh, fortunately for him, he found his way back to the Colts, and uh, we'll see how things go this year. They have a new head coach. They could potentially have a new quarterback on the way. So things will be very interesting for Indianapolis this upcoming season. So, Kev, I'll kick this one to you. What do you think the Colts need to do this offseason to be better than the, the to be better than what they were this past season? Well, I mean, glaring massive hole. How surprised it's going to be the quarterback position. Haven't had one since luck in 2018. We've kind of been a revolving door there as well as a pit stop and nursing home. And uh, it's gotten to be a little bit of a burden for me as a fan. As you can see, that how oh, excuse me. That helmet back there is a signed Andrew Luck helmet. That is my guy. That's my favorite Colt outside of Peyton Manning. And, uh, you know, we did him a disservice and couldn't keep him healthy. So we have to bring someone into the fold and we have to develop them. And uh, with the number four overall pick, obviously, at that point, whether or not we trade up with Chicago, trade up with Houston, it makes no difference. I know that our pick is going to be a quarterback. So whether that is Stroud, whether that's Levis, Bryce Young, whatever's available, I am deliberately leaving Anthony Richardson out of that equation. And I will get into why a little bit later in our next segment. I just... Just trust me, I have stuff in the tank for that one. The Colts definitely need to work on finding a way to just mitigating all of the issues that we have, which is mainly on the offensive side, and that starts with the quarterback. Second for me is going to be weapons. We have Jonathan Taylor, Jelani Wood, a couple of solid younger tight ends as well. We need some receivers outside of Michael Pittman Jr., we don't necessarily have anybody out there. I mean, I know we drafted Alec Pierce last year. I know that Ashlyn Doolin has stepped up in a different role. I know we've had some undrafted free agents kind of come in and play decently, but we do not have a big playmaker. We do not have someone that's going to go out there and go get a touchdown, someone that you can throw the ball up to and they can come down with it. Yes, Michael Pittman is 6'3". Yes, he's got an incredible vertical. Yes, he's very physical. Outside of Michael Pittman, we don't have anybody legitimate. And if we're being honest, Michael Pittman on most other teams would be a number two or three receiver. He's not a definitive number one. So we're going to need to build that wide receiver core. We've had to do that for years, and I'm tired of the plugs. I'm tired of the temporary band-aids. We need a definitive wide receiver core. Because without that, our young quarterback is going to have no targets to throw to because our wide receivers can't create separation. So for me, the biggest two glaring issues on the offensive side of the ball, got to have a quarterback, and you got to... Deepen and strengthen the wide receiver room. And for me, I really only have one more point to go over, and that would be the offensive line. Because Kev, how many times when you looked at that offensive line, they were getting just absolutely destroyed on the line of scrimmage. Every it looked like every play. Honestly, yes, they stepped up in in some instances, like maybe in a game or two swing. But for the majority of the season, whoever was at the quarterback position was getting beat up every single game. And that's really the part that I want to focus on is with the offensive line. Kev, I'm not even sure that they really need like wholesale changes where they need to completely flip this offensive line. I just think that the, the intensity needs to be ramped up because Kev, even Quentin Nelson, who was a multiple-time Pro Bowler as an offensive guard, was getting destroyed. And it had an impact on the offense. There's no doubt about that. Because Jonathan Taylor, not this past season, but the season before, was one of the best running backs in the NFL statistically. And granted, you know, there have been some injuries that he's dealt with along the way. But you could just tell that 
the productivity in the running game was not as prevalent as it was the year before. And if Indy wants to be a consistent offense, they have to be able to run the ball effectively. But it all starts up in the trenches. And if they're not winning those one-on-one battles or winning those double-team blocks to get up to the second level, the team's going to be stagnant offensively. Now, obviously, when you look at the offense, the biggest thing is going to be who are they going to draft for a quarterback. And they have a very good opportunity to, to draft some high quarterback prospects this year. And if that offensive line is not sharp and is not focused and ready to go, whoever they draft, it's going to be difficult for them to get comfortable in the NFL. And we could look back to the past of what Andrew Luck had to deal with when his offensive line was in check. You could basically say at this point that his career was cut short based on the fact that the Colts weren't able to build up an effective offensive line to protect their quarterback. You know, is that a situation that the Colts want to round back to again with whatever quarterback they draft this NFL draft? Hopefully not. Hopefully they've learned from their mistakes. Our offensive line, man, like you said, I'm not going to go and sit there and say we need an an entire revamp. We have good players. They've proven to be good players. Quentin Nelson's an all-time, not an all-time, excuse me, multiple-time all-pro. Ryan Kelly is a multiple-time pro bowler. Um, Braden Smith is one of the best right tackles in football over the course of his career since he's been drafted. Statistically, it proves it. He Prior to this year, he only had allowed on his side, like liability-wise, responsible to sack, I think two times in his entire career uh, prior to the season, like I said. So these guys just need a, a wake-up call, a rejuvenation, like a, I don't know, like a come-to-wake-up moment realization. I have no idea, but I agree with Kyle. I wouldn't say revamp the whole thing because we have too much money tied into them. Yeah, it's just, I think at this point you stick with what you got. I think just the overall execution needs to be stepped up. I think at this point, look to last year's learning curve. I mean, they have good offensive line players at their disposal, but they have to we play up to do. their they have to play up to their standard. I, I, I mean, they took a precipitous drop off from the year prior where Jonathan Taylor was just destroying defenses. So I think they have the right places, they have the right pieces in place. They just have to go out there and execute. It's that simple. But Kev, we got one more segment to get to. It's in the UFC realm, so I'll let you take it from here. Well, but b- before we do that, I had I had mentioned oh, I, yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. talk about Anthony Richardson really yeah, quick, yeah, yeah. right? I didn't I didn't want to go and put that out there like I'm slandering somebody. Everybody that follows the podcast knows I'm a Florida Gator fan. I have no issues with the, the quarterback as a whole. But in terms of the reason I wanted to keep him out of at least the Colt situation. Is because I think that this combine, which was great, by the way, I love watching the combine. I love seeing these guys compete for their futures. All of those competitions, all of those drills, to me, are very, very, very important. Um, but then there are situations like this that Kyle and I both agree that just blow things out of proportion. So Anthony Richardson was the quarterback of the Florida Gators for the last two seasons. Anthony Richardson is 6'4", 244 pounds. Very big, athletic individual, right? And because of the statistical numbers he put out into the combine, people are jumping him into a top four draft pick in terms of, you know, obviously two 
of those teams need a quarterback because Justin Fields is in Chicago and then Kyler Murray is in Arizona, albeit he's hurt, but you're not going to waste your top draft pick with a quarterback if you already have one locked up for the future. Anyway, um, obviously Houston needs a quarterback and so do the Colts. So they're saying that Anthony Richardson has jumped into the discussion with Bryce Young to be one of the first two quarterbacks taken in terms of odds because of the numbers he put up. So the vertical jump that Anthony Richardson put up is 40.5 inches, and he had a broad jump, broad jump of 10 feet, 9 inches, and a 40-yard dash of 4-4-4. To put it into perspective, Cam Newton was 6'5", 246 pounds, and he ran a 4-6. The comparisons are uncanny. Big, durable, athletic, quick, got the strong the strong arm the you know for distances but this has got to stop. Kyle put the panel on both of us man. We've seen enough tape. I've seen enough Gator games to know that this guy from a quarterback standpoint, not athletic, from a quarterback standpoint, this is not going to cut it in the league. 54% completion percentage. There were some games he didn't even throw touchdowns. He's not accurate. He's not consistent. He can't make good decisions. He doesn't know how to read defenses. And we're talking about a position in which you you have to do all those things week in and week out. And you're going to tell me because he has a crazy combine that he's going to jump quarterbacks that have actually done this at the highest level in college? I'm not asking for your thoughts. Tell me if I'm crazy. No, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're crazy whatsoever. I mean, when it comes to Anthony Richardson, I mean, athletically speaking, I, I mean, his body of work kind of speaks for itself. He is definitely athletic. He's one of the most athletic quarterbacks, and he could even be the most athletic quarterback in this year's draft. I will give him that. But when it comes to the combine stuff that he was involved with this past weekend, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt because you're not even simulating game experiences or game situations. These are just drills that you're going to be a part of. Okay, you're going to do a 40-yard dash. You're going to do a broad jump. Uh, you're going to do vertical jump, or you're going to do weightlifting, or you're going to do passing drills. Like you know, that's pretty much the gamut of what you're going to cover at these combine events. And I think there's this tendency to go a little bit hyperbolic and basically say just because he had a great combine, now his whole draft stock is going to improve because of it. When it comes to Anthony Richardson, yeah, he had a good combine. But that doesn't mean that people should be instantly sold based on those combine performances. Because when you get into game situations and he has to be able to execute, you kind of have to go to the game tape. And a game tape doesn't necessarily prove that he's the most effective quarterback. Because like Kevin alluded to, he's a Gator fan. So I'm going to take his knowledge uh, pretty respectfully here. He knows what he saw with Anthony Richardson. A guy that can make big plays, who can use his athleticism to the best degree possible. But his level of execution, his accuracy, are major question marks. And when it comes to the quarterback position, you have to be able to execute. And when it comes to his body of work, it's checkered, to kind of put it safely. So, yeah, when it comes to his combine, I could say that he had a great combine. But two things can be true at the same time. Combine was good, but guess what? I'm still not sold on him being that guy that can transition from a great combine 
to a guy that can go to playing on Sundays and light it up consistently when the body of work doesn't say that. So I don't know. I think people are going a little bit too hyperbolic for me based on this one combine that Anthony Richardson had. You could just basically put it in this box. You can compartmentalize it and say, yeah, he had a good combine. But outside of that, that's pretty much where I would leave it at. Because when it comes to his game performances, things that you typically look at in a quarterback that you need to see play at a high level, uh, he doesn't necessarily check all those boxes. So it'd be interesting to see where he gets drafted uh, when the draft comes up in April. But to give him a little bit of credit, I thought he had a good combine performance, but I think that's where I'll basically leave it at. It's prisoner of the moment for me. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like those numbers didn't shock me. You know, like I, I again, I know he's athletically gifted. I understand that he has the arm strength, and I understand he is a project quarterback. He's someone that's going to need to develop with the right coaching staff, with the right quarterback in front of him that's going to teach him. But for you to jump these quarterbacks that have continuously produced at a good level in college, like Bryce Young won a Heisman, for God's sake. C.J. Stroud was in the college football playoff um, obviously you have Will Levis who plays in the SEC and led the Wildcats to, I think their first ever double digit win season. And God knows how long, if I remember correctly, just two years ago, like, and he played injured this year and he still found a way to kind of keep Kentucky relevant in the SEC. I, Anthony Richardson ain't do nothing this year. Like, I think he had more turnovers than he had touchdown passes. Granted, he had a lot of rushing scores and he had a lot of rushing yards. Yes, he beat Utah and he played in the competitive SEC like we already know. But for you to go top 10 even, for you to be a first-round quarterback, you got to be ready to win right now. You got to be ready to play. Mm -hmm. He's not. He's got at least two, three, maybe even four years of development until he can accurately put himself in this situation to say, I'm ready to compete for a starting job. Until you show me you can hit the slant 10 out of 10 times, not just in practice, in game, bro, you throwing to receivers in the combine is the stupidest thing ever. There's no defense. There's no pass rush. We said the same thing about Zach Wilson a few years ago when he made that crazy throw on the On his pro day. There, there was no circumstances to tell me that that was going to be impressive. Nothing that was going to indicate you were going to be a professional quarterback at the highest level. So... I love the combine for me personally, like I said. And as a Gator fan, I'm happy he showed out and improved his draft stock. But with my team being in this conversation as a team that may take him, yes, Shane Steichen is a brilliant offensive mind who has developed quarterbacks. But he has a six-year contract, and we have a win-now defense. We don't have time for a project. The Colts have been mediocre, and we're aging our superstars every year we waste. Quentin Nelson's not getting younger. Shaquille Leonard's not getting younger. DeForest Buckner, and the list goes on and on and on. We need a quarterback that can make us competitive. Not someone that's going to hold the clipboard and needs to practice every single day. No disrespect to Anthony Richardson. I love him. I always will support him. I don't want him on my team. That's, that's, literally, that's all I wanted to say. I support him fully. I do not want him on the Indianapolis Colts. And if he does, if he goes there? Again, I wouldn't even be surprised at this point because I think they do things to piss me off deliberately. So, I mean, you know, if suddenly I go bald, guys, or have massive amounts of gray hair come the months of June, August, or excuse me, July and August, you guys know why. Yeah, we'll know what to trace it back to for sure. Yeah. 
But uh, Kyle said, we got one final thing to talk about really quick, and that was the incredible card that happened on Saturday with the UFC fights. And John Jones winning the heavyweight championship in the first round via submission. And, uh, I mean, Kyle said it last week. He was already in conversation to be the GOAT, depending on who you asked. I'm pretty sure he solidified that now. So, Kyle, give me your thoughts on John Jones and his victory this Saturday. I mean, it was impressive. When it came to John being able to submit Cyril Gaon in the first round, even I was surprised by that. I, When I was first thinking of the fight, projecting it out how far it would go, I was thinking at least the third round. I was still banking on the fact that John Jones would win, even though that he had been off for the last three years. You know, the, the idea of ring rust is real. And even in the fight against Cyril, you could tell that he's a little rusty. Some of his punches he overextended a little bit definitely showed that when you've been out of the cage for three years in a real situation compared to just sparring or training sessions, it could be apparent. But the fact that John was able to get that takedown and then get into a position where he was able to get that guillotine chokehold, man, I remember we were watching the replays live after John had got the submission. Man, we saw that he was making the adjustments. He was trying to get in the right position. And then once he got that arm underneath Cyril's uh, chin, game over. I mean, Cyril was tapping within a second after John had got the right position. So when it comes to John, incredibly impressive performance as far as I see it. Uh, Like I said last week, had he beaten Cyril gone, it would have been undeniable that he's the greatest UFC fighter ever. And you could essentially say the same thing for maybe being even the greatest MMA fighter at this point. You know, the fact that he was able to dominate the light heavyweight division for as long as he did, and then takes three years off, he goes to the heavyweight division, and he knocks out the number one contender, or submits the number one contender in the first round, in the first two minutes. He's just on a different level. And when it comes to John Jones and his future in the heavyweight division, next guy that he's going to go up against is going to be Stipe Miocic. And Stipe is arguably the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. And with John Jones having one fight in that heavyweight division underneath his belt, no pun intended, that's going to be a good challenge for him because Stipe has been in that division for years. And he's gone up against some quality fighters and he's been through some wars. And there's a very good chance that both Stipe and John would be able to fight this fight this year because John didn't really sustain any damage from that fight against Cyril. So when it came to John, this was the best case scenario for him. He was able to get this win effectively and decisively. And it sets him up for a really good Bay fight, probably around July. So more than likely, he'll, he'll take the next couple months to be able to train against Bay. I wouldn't be surprised knowing how thorough John is. He may have already prepared for Bay well in advance before this potential fight could even take place. So... When it comes to John, John is going to be extremely focused when he goes into his next camp against Stipe, which is more than likely going to be announced at some point in the next couple months. But I imagine that Stipe is going to he's going to have his hands full against John because John is not somebody to be trifled with. Even though John hasn't fought consistently over the last couple years, the fact that he was able to beat Cyril in the manner that he did and Cyril being a more active fighter, that's a scary dude you have to go up against. And when you're going up against the GOAT, good luck. So 
just wanted to say, you know, congratulations on John Jones getting the heavyweight belt. It's well-deserved. And we'll see what he could do with it from here on out. Um, I didn't watch the fight. I don't really watch UFC. I saw the highlights. And seeing that, that, that guillotine choke, it just reminds me, man. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I can't imagine being in the ring with these dudes. But we're talking about gladiator-type guys, <laughs> man. Like, they're just, they're massive. And the things that they could do with their bodies in the sense of, like, how they're able to contort and hurt some... Kudos to you guys, man, for willingly, like, you have to wake up on some different type of energy. You know how people always make the joke, like, you woke up and chose violence? Like, you yeah. got to be that kind Those of person. That just, bro, you willingly are, are, are waking up every day and you're saying, I'm about it. Yeah. Every day. And you're, and you're okay with getting your ass handed to you, coming home with, with basically like, your eyelids shut. I just saw Creed 3 today, and I know all of it's fake, you know, it's staged, you know, there's contact, but very minimal. And it's like, you know, even seeing some of those scripted or, you know, fake blows, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I can handle that shit. Then you look at UFC and you know that's legit of elbows getting smashed and, bro, no shot. I'm, I'm good. I'm you know good. You know what's crazy is that John could go from that fighter mode and then within two to three minutes after winning the fight, Joe Brogan asks him a question. And the first answer that he gives is, can I get a Hoya? Like... <laughs> It's kind of crazy, like how he could literally flip those modes so quickly. If he could go from that fighter mode where he's locked in, laser focused, and then once it's over, he's able to compartmentalize and then essentially just go back to just casual interactions. So, you know, it's just kind of crazy how they're able to balance it all out. And, and John's done it extremely effectively. The fact that he he went up from light heavyweight, made that. I would say what looks like a pretty smooth transition into heavyweight. That's good on him. And I imagine, you know, there'll be some things that he'll fine tune when he goes up against Stipe. I think, I think he was saying that he probably wants to lose somewhere around 10 or 15 more pounds when he gets into these heavyweight fights to be a little bit more trim, be a little bit more lean. But Stipe is going to have his hands full when he goes up against John in the next couple months because John suffered no damage whatsoever in that fight. So... John really got the best case scenario from this fight because you can get into some wars where it takes you a couple months to recover. I don't even think John took any shots in this fight where maybe like little bumps and bruises, but that's pretty much it. So he he came away from this fight unscathed. And even Cyril Gon did, even though they got submitted. He didn't really suffer too much damage. So I wouldn't be surprised if Cyril gets back into the ring sooner rather than later. But all in all, it was a very exciting card. I, I thought it lived up to expectation with the two championship fights. And um, the next big card will be the uh, Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards card. Uh, that one will take place in London, I believe, two and a half weeks, three weeks from now. It'll be towards like the later part of March, like that third or fourth week in March. And that one's going to be a very good card. So I'm looking forward to that one too. Well, um, guys, that about wraps it up. I'm sitting here and I'm dying. Um, we're gonna. I give you credit, bro. Up. I give you credit. You. I made trooped it. your way through it, bro. I made it through. I. I give you a lot. Nothing of credit. was gonna stop me from recording. Kyle even was able to graciously give me like 20 minutes to kind of close my eyes with a wet cloth, like to just like try to decompress my nose and give my eyes a rest. So again, shout out to my partner because he deals with the same exact thing that I do, except his is a lot worse because he's got to drive outside and do a bunch of different shit. So you know, shout out to my partner as always, but. Uh, that's going to end it for us today. Um, guys, 
baseball's coming. Basketball's approaching playoff time. I mean, there's just there's a lot of stuff coming up. Obviously, NFL free agency is a couple weeks away. So sports content, endless. Promise you that. We're going to be here. We're going to be talking about it. We've got a lot of stuff coming in the next few weeks. If you're watching us on YouTube, if you're listening to us on the audio platforms, if you're looking through us on social media in general, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, we genuinely appreciate any and all support we've gotten. And uh, that about wraps it up for today. So, Kyle, bring us on home, buddy. Yeah, just like what Kevin had said, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, whether that's on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support. Like Kev said, we'll have plenty of content coming for you guys over the next couple of weeks with the amount of sports that we cover. And we hope that you guys just continue to support the podcast in the manner that you have. So with that said, once again, thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll see you guys later this week. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.